on. Um, Myers talked last of the time about uh, the importance of prayer in the, in the early church and how after they had been arrested, they again turned to prayer together and they poured out their hearts and said, God, you see that they are threatening us and they didn't ask for it to be taken away, but they had asked for it that God would see it and that he would help them to continue to witness boldly. And so then the Holy Spirit filled the place and helped them with that, and the place was shaking. So today we're going to continue reading, and it's going to stop really good, and then it's going to get complicated, because as I titled it, the sermon, Hypocrisy Enters the Gathering of Believers. So uh, let's read together, and we're reading from Acts 4.32, and we're going to read through 5.6.16. Uh, now the number of those who believed were one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony of the resurrection Lord of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was none, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and the land and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Oh. Um, thus Joseph, who was called by the apostle, who was called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and made it at that But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of robbery, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostle's feet. But he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back? For yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it rained many unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear fell upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of, of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together 
to test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done by, among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's particle. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that even so they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on rocks and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. People gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean um, spirits, and they were all healed. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so everything was going so well. Everything was going so good. The first believers, 120, were gathered, the Holy Spirit. As they were praying, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. They got the ability to be witnesses as Jesus has promised. They had some crises, they had some up and downs. They were being announced that to be persecuted and was told not to talk about Jesus. But that was the whole purpose. They were supposed to talk about Jesus. So they continued to do that after being threatened. And they, after being threatened, they have another prayer meeting and the Holy Spirit works mightily about them and they give them more how to continue in the face of persecution. We see like in Acts 2.42, there's this extreme generosity and kindness towards the people. The, the church is like a family and they are they are so engaged with one another that they say, nothing is mine, we will share things. It is not compulsory, but they, it's a heart that they have, a heart's attitude. And so we see this beautiful uh, gesture that Barnabas who Luke actually now introduces this, like, commentators, this, this is what Luke sometimes does. He introduces a person that we're going to talk, that we'll learn a lot more about later, but he's introduced here. There's some things about him that makes uh, good sense, and then there's some things that might make you scratch your head a little bit. Barnabas uh, is a native of Cyprus, but he's also a native Levite, and he owns property. Well, Levites weren't really supposed to own property, and how can he be from Cyprus? That's all good, good things that we can talk about. I'm not going to go into details about that. But we know that he's an encouraging person. That's what his name or his nickname is, Son of Encouragement. But he, he has a property that he sells and he brings the money to the church to distribute it. To dis distribute it. But as this is happening, this man named Ananias and his wife they see, they see the generosity among the people. And they sell some property. But something happens here. 
something's happened. Something has happened here because they make a choice to want to pretend to be more generous than they are. Uh, all, all what Peter's saying, all what Peter says here is, um, well, he's very, he goes right to the point, and he says, um, he says, why, Ananias, has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep some of the Come keep something back for yourself. Why are you doing this? You are not obligated to sell this and give the money. We have not asked you to do this. But why have you made a plan in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to pretend to be to pretend to be more generous than you are? Why is that your goal? And even after you sold like you could still have the, all the money. Why didn't you, did you just keep it? If your heart isn't that generous, why didn't you just keep it? Why did you, why did you, why is it that you want us or other people to see you differently than you really are? Why is it that Satan has has put this has put this into your heart that you have to look differently in our eyes. Why are you valuing it? Why are you putting more value on what we think than what God who sees your heart thinks? You've not lied to man, but you've lied to God. And then in the eyes, he hears this, and he falls dead on the ground. Some young men come and carry him away and bury him. And then in the story, you might be like, you know, Sometimes when I come to this part of the story, verse 7 here, you're like, come on, just tell the truth, but tell, just tell the truth, but tell the truth, like, just tell the truth. Because like three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, comes in, but he does, she doesn't know what happened. And he asks her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she doesn't tell the truth. She goes along with a lie and says, yes, so that is the amount. And Peter asked, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? The people that have just buried your husband are right outside and they will also bury you. She falls down and dies. The young man carries her out as well. And great fear came upon the whole church. 
had so far in Acts, we've had this picture of um, some more, uh, what do you call it? Something that looks like a utopian, like the perfect fellowship, perfect harmony, everybody has everything in common. There's no strife, there's no uh, bad uh, talk about each other or anything. But here we see how hypocrisy comes into the church. We see, um, we see this disconnect between what God says, um, a living for man's uh, approval instead of God's. And also, this is just like a parenthesis, if, if this was something that uh, Luke was just making up, why would he ever put that in the Bible? Why would anybody put this big failure of the church into the Bible? I think it speaks a lot to the authenticity of the church, the, the church, the Bible, that this is true. Because why would you put a story like this in the Bible where God actually kills two people because they are extremely disobedient and because they have actually destroyed the harmony of the church? So Luke is not... Luke is not uh, in his presentation, and actually, he's not he's not presenting a perfect church. And we'll also see that later. We'll see that when Paul and Barnabas get, gets gets in the fight over Mark, John Mark, and we'll see Peter doing things he shouldn't have. Like so, it's it's not a perfect church, um, but it speaks to the truthfulness of um, of the scriptures. That the loop is recording what actually happened. I've used this verse a couple of times. I used it in, when we did Job and other times. Because a lot of people maybe did it today also. And I'm going to get to us in a little bit, but this might be one of the New Testament passages that people, hey, we should be like the early church. Like, we really need to be like the early church. I was talking to another friend, the pastor, and he says, yeah, but people forget about chapter 5, and they forget about chapter 8. Here <coughs> God does this, and in 8, I think, uh, or at least the, the story of Stephen, 7, 7, 8, when Stephen, Stephen, is, um, or Stephen, Stephen gets stoned. Like, we want to be like the early church. Yes, but what did the early church really look like? Here we get a glimpse into this. It looks really good in some places, but they're also very much struggling, probably exactly like some of the things that we are struggling with. And so, as we As a hypocrite, 
I think we really have to take a look at this ourselves. It's like, why do I, what do I have to gain if you think I'm more, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more pious, or I'm a better husband, or I'm better, I'm a more generous person? What do I gain from you thinking that? Nothing. Because God knows exactly who I am. All they would have is put a burden on me to perform a certain way. Then every time I would meet you, I would have to look like I'm a better husband. I would have to look like I'm a better father. I would have to look like I'm more religious or better, have a better relationship with you. But it doesn't matter what it looks like. Because if it's not there, 
it has absolutely no value. Because it's because God knows. So the question is like, we have to ask ourselves this question. <laughs> and it's a funny question in a sense because why do we put on a mask? Well, right now we put on a mask because we're told to. But in a more metaphorical sense, why do we put on a mask? Why do I want to be perceived as something I'm not? Why do I want Vlad or Lee or has to think I'm better than I am? I'm smarter. I'm stronger. I'm more clever. Why would I want that? Or why would you want that? What is that we're, what is it that we're trying to do when we pretend to be something we're not? Or what is it that not we might not even be pretend, but we might want to project something? What is it that we're trying to do? We might want to try to look more mature, like we have it all, all together, we're smarter, stronger, like I said. But we know the truth, and God knows the truth. So what do we actually gain from that? The question is, I think I've said it before, thing is that you're probably going to lose a lot more than you're going to gain. Putting on a mask makes it impossible for you to be loved, to be loved for who you are. Because you're not going to receive people's love because they're loving the mask and you are not even going to receive that. I think we don't embrace what Jesus has done. I think we show that we don't, that in those moments, don't really believe the gospel of the good news. That when we have the pressure or the whispering in the ears that you should do this, then they will like you. Those whispers are probably not from God. If those whispers tell you to do something that you are not, or tell them to, or it tells you to do, uh, pretend to be something you are not, we show in those moments that we don't really believe that Jesus has, what he's done for us. We show that just that point in time, we want approval of men more 
believe that we have a right relationship with God, our identity is not something we have made, but something that God has bought for us in Jesus Christ. It might expose our pride and wanting us to show ourselves better as everybody else. In these pitfalls and their whispering, for us to fall into the trap of covering up our faults and failures, we're probably going to trap ourselves in a new prison. Why choose to pretend? Why choose to sin when we know or we believe that Jesus came to set us free? It's like Jesus comes and sets us free from us. Shame, pain, and guilt of a prison of shame and guilt where we had to hide ourselves. He comes and opens the door and we walk out just to walk into a new cell and close the door and pretend we're somebody, <coughs> somebody else than the, one, than the one he just came to save from those things. Jesus pointed out himself, Peter, Satan, get behind me. So he hears this, Ananias, why did Satan fill your heart? Why did you think you could lie to the Holy Spirit? Why do you think you can lie to God? Small side note, I oh, oh, already used lots of time. Small side note, this is one of the strongest <coughs> uh, theological things about the Holy Spirit being God. So you see the Trinity here. You see that this <coughs> one of the progressions that we see Peter make with Jesus. Jesus is a man, then there's a man beside, then he comes forward. God, okay, we see you've lied to the spirits, but you've lied to God. So here you see the Trinity being revealed that not only is Jesus one with the Father, but so is the Spirit. I should probably spend a whole sermon on that one time, but we'll keep going. Um, I have the last page here where I have a few questions and also just some things just to consider. So if you, when you're looking at this passage, what is Luke actually trying to convey? What is he trying to what is he trying to say to the people right there? He's saying Jesus is Jesus is creating a new people. He saved the people from the sin. He's died. He's resurrected to be their Lord and Savior. He's made them united in one heart and one spirit. But Luke also says, like honestly, like we talked before, you know, well, the first church was not a perfect church. It had struggles with a lot of different Then we come to the point, why is it that God judges so swiftly? I think it's because God has created something new. He's created something new. He's created this called out people that seen Jesus. Resurrected and they're supposed to be witnesses. 
they're not supposed to be people who pretend to be witnesses. He sends a clear warning, very clear warning. Don't lie to me or my own spirit. This is the consequence. This is also maybe where it stings us a bit. Better. Because although we might not die at the first time we've lied, the consequences are the same. And you might say, well, why is that? Well, we have this verse here from James. What is happening here? Let no one say, when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And with desire, and, and then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, gives birth to death. I actually think this verse really encompasses this story very well. Their sin and desire grows and grows in them. To be wanting, <coughs> in Ananias and Sapphira, to be wanting to be looked upon with different eyes from the other people. When that, then they plan it. They plan it together. And when that is fully, when the plan is fully made out, it causes that. We have to remember that sin is not something to be played with because it actually brings death. As believers, we have this great hope that the cross is empty, that, that God came and in Christ He showed us what we were supposed to live like. He lived the life we could not live because we failed many times against God. He died on the cross for our sin. And He rose again so we could have righteousness in Him. And He's coming back. That's the great hope. So, so why is it that we pretend when our identity has been totally new? We're invited into the family of God, becoming children of God. Why do we then want to pretend to be something we're not? What draws us to be better, wanting to be perceived better than we are? Is it because we don't trust we have a new identity in Christ? That we're a new creation? Is it because I, in practice, sometimes I really don't truly believe the gospel? Because I would rather be esteemed by me. Why is it that we would choose to go into a new prison when Jesus has freed us from prison? Now, I just have the question for the people on the here. If you don't believe in Jesus, and if He is not your Lord and Savior, why on earth would you pretend to be something you're not? Like, who are you trying to impress? Because you know yourself who you are and how mature or immature you are. That doesn't seem to make much sense. The question for all of us is like, what is my heart like? Do I have a divided heart or an undivided heart? 
in my heart wholly submitted to God? Or is it divided to want the praise of men and women around us? Do you know, to all of us, do you know there are powers here who would like you to die and fail? Peter writes, to be watchful because the devil is prowling around to see who he can destroy. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm not saying that everything in the world is bad, but it's the thing that the world offers. So if we're enticed by what the world offers of success or the fleshly lusts, and then we have a real enemy who would love to see us fail. And that's probably the voices we hear whispering, you should pretend to be smart. Do you know that's actually a real truth, a spiritual truth? That there's somebody who doesn't want you to succeed and see you be destroyed. Now, seeing you be destroyed can also be destroyed in all success, on fleshly lust, or whatever, as long as it's not praising and honoring God. That's the only true wisdom one. Brings us to the last question. And I think we've talked about it a few times, and I think I'm also just getting to understand this better. There's one time somebody said, I think it's called Tim Kelly, said, we all come to Jesus selfishly. We all come to Jesus selfishly because we need Him to save us. So we all come to the cross selfishly because we need Him to save us. But does that change over time? Does it change over time that we don't come selfishly anymore but we come understanding that our treasure is God. That the true treasure is God. Not to get his stuff, or not to get this, or not to get seen as better, but to see who God is, and that being the treasure. That God himself is the treasure. Do we see that all God has done for us in the gospel is actually a huge treasure, that we can rest in that? Rest in what Paul says, we're a new creation in Christ. We're new, the old has passed away, the new has come. You are the children of God. You are adopted into God's family. Can we see that as a treasure? That we don't have to pretend and look something in the eyes of people. But that the treasure is what God has called us to Are we looking at life through Christ's life, death, and his resurrection and our hope is his glorious, our glorious hope is his coming back. That that is our ambition. That God is the prize. But end of all things is that we will be face to face with God. Is that our treasure? <coughs> if that's our treasure, there really is no need to pretend. Because God already knows everything. And he sent his son, despite our efforts, as you would say sometimes, 
these sentences fight our worthiness because we were not worthy, but he was, and he is. So my question just for all of us is just this is a time where we remember when we're tempted to pretend we're something we're not. Instead, look to the identity that comes from Christ and trusting Him. And having one another encourage one another with that. And saying, I was never worthy, but now God has made me worthy, so I don't need to pretend. I was burst out of jail. Jesus came in and got me out. I'll stop walking back and stop walking with Him. And that's all of that. All of it is only possible because of what Jesus has done in Christ through we see that um, we see the end. Uh, it creates massive fear about all who knows this. We see them in Psalms to go again. And now people are they're distancing them. <laughs> they're like uh, they're like kind of scared of them now. Um, but we see God continue to work. Multitudes become believers through this. So encouragement to all of us. To rest in the identity that we have in Christ, the new creation, and not be pretenders. Because God already knows. So let's spurge on our own. Even for this weird time that we talk about, uh, all these new restrictions also say, let's not pretend. Let's say how it is. And let's, instead of, don't fall into self pity and stuff, but let's say, no, no, let's continue to walk with Jesus, even in this time. So let's do that together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much. God, thank you that you know all in us. Our hearts are bare for you, whether we like it or not. But what I thank you is that it is, because then I can actually believe that you love me. And that Christ actually seen everyone seeing all of what I was and am still came to redeem and save. So I pray that we would grow in the understanding of that day by day. And there's no reason to pretend for you or for other people. But you call us to be your witnesses. And that we can't be three Holy Spirit. You'll help us to, to share with the world who we really are and not some picture of what we think other people should think that we are. So I pray you grant us that grace and mercy to do those things. And I pray that you help us treasure who you are. That you are the treasure. Thank you for all your grace and mercy towards us.